Bonjour, mon listener, to season three, episode seven of Weekend La Crombies, where we will be looking at the film Sur Mes Lèvres. Bonjour, mes listeners, uh, to Weekend de la Crombie. Je suis Hugh, un morceau de viande en sens. Bonsoir. My name is James Evans, Esquire, um, and I have nice hands. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We have, we're subjecting you to this pigeon French because uh, this week, this month, is our first uh, foreign language film in full. Um, yeah. Our first partial foreign language film and film in general was, of course, Dance in the Dark, but uh, put nothing quite... Stretched stretch the definition of a film for you, Hugh, didn't it? It did, it did, and of uh, an entertainment, and indeed just the hours uh, <laughs> of my life that I'll never see back again. But this was Read My Lips, um, a 2001 film by Jacques Audiard. Um, very good, very nice. Very good, yes. And uh, so we'll begin with our protagonist, Emmanuel Devaux. Uh, she is Carla, um, who is a secretary at this... Um, a French firm in Paris who deal, I think, in either architects or property management or building firm. Lots to do with, you know, creation of stuff and buildings and etc. Um, Very boring. I won't overburden you with my technical knowledge. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> the next 30 minutes are going to be architectural design with Hugh Morgan. <laughs> There's things with pictures and houses <laughs> with chimneys. Uh, so Carla is, um, it, we, we jump right into it. She's actually, we, she's partially deaf. We see her adjusting her hearing aids to begin with. And in this office, it's a very gray, overworked, and um, very, you know, there's a close-up on her just answering phones and, and moving coffee caps that people have dumped on her desk because they don't care about her desk. And she's clearly working very hard and not being terribly appreciated. And again, cut to the canteen where she's eating by herself and gazing out at other colleagues who are either laughing or joking or one, one colleague is having a romance with each other. Um, yeah. So clearly the, the, everyone's a lot happier than she is and she's feeling quite lonely and quite overworked because... And she can also, she also knows exactly what her work colleagues think of her when they talk to each other because she can read their lips. Yeah, which actually makes her, again, part of their world and yet pushed out from it. She's looking from behind yeah. a window, which I guess is even more lonely. Yeah. Um, but she, again, the, the overworkedness kicks in when she is, uh, again, I think coffee gets spilled on the file for her boss and this kind of overloads her brain and she has, she passes out. She just has you know, um, a fainting spell or something like that. It, yeah, it, it's spilled on, a, on a, a file that she has been specifically working on uh, for a significant period of time. And uh, the crescendo of various events builds up so that she can't help but yeah. collapse. Yeah, I will and say, actually, because that, that moment, again, it's 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 firstly, it's, it's the thing she's worked on a lot. Also, um, she knows the coffee cup has been put there by men in, in the office that don't care about her desk or her privacy or putting coffee cups on it because yeah. the look on her face it's it's very early in the film and it's heartbreaking um it uh, emmanuel devo really communicates this is a bad thing that's happened to her and, yeah. as and it is not the first time that it's happened yeah yeah because she, she says as much um but uh, you know as someone who is very particular about his things and, and doesn't like them getting coffee spilled them i was there with her that moment I thought, oh god <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's it i'm connected with the character um but <laughs> some some directors 
you know, they, hours and hours to get you to connect to a character. It, for you, it's just a co- coffee cup on the table. It's the save the cat moment. You know, people who like more cats more than I would be impressed if a character saved a cat in the first act. Me, yeah. it's if someone had a coffee cup spilled over a particularly nice piece of paper that they'd worked yeah. on. I'm, I've been with them there. So we've, we've um, so in, in response to this kind of basically fainting spell, her boss um, sort of semi-nicely uh, offers her to get her an assistant. Um, uh, and she takes offence to this a little bit. Well, maybe not offence, but she's certainly defensive. It's defensive more than offended, yeah. I think yeah. She's, she's gonna she, she thinks, you know, I'm, not, I'm. why do I need an assistant? I am already a secretary. I don't need a secretary to do the work that I do. Which I think, she, is, yeah, I think is interesting uh, from her perspective, because I think, you know, her, from her boss, he's probably thinking, I've got a valuable piece of, of um, staff here, and I don't want her passing out with a lot of work on. I need no. to get her some help. And all yeah. she's thinking is, I'm... I'm not worth very much, and then they're trying to replace me. Uh, so I think it's 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 on her about her self worth as much as anything else. Absolutely, it's, it tells you a lot about how much she values herself and what her self confidence is like, which is rock bottom. Yeah. I think that's a really a really good point, and it, it's writ large throughout. Certainly, the first half of the film as well. That 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 self confidence that she has mm-hmm. or doesn't have. Yeah, but she sees the opportunity to, to hire an assistant, um, again, for companionship as much as some, some work help, because the conversation she has with the, uh, the HR person starts off with, you know, I'll set the age range. Can it be a man? Can I specify a man? No, you can't. Okay. Um, any other any requirements? Um, really nice hands and a gentle nature. And <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. the HR it person, like a dating app, doesn't it? It's very much like it. And the, the age of is like, I'll just put well turned out there, yeah. or smartly dressed or something like that. Um, and and yeah. in answer to her prayers, um, very quickly afterwards comes uh, Paul in yeah. the, uh, Paul, as we call him now. <laughs> we'll go that Please let's just call him Paul, not Paul. Paul. Uh, Played the, by Vincent Cassel, the yeah. famous French actor Vincent Cassel, who, despite um, the uh, the recruitment agent saying that we'll, we'll just get get someone who's well turned out, turns up in like a greasy old leather jacket, jeans. Um, he's got a ratty moustache. You know, he's 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 looking very dishevelled, not unattractive, yes. um, but certainly rough and ready. And so it's it's the interview from hell. Yeah, I actually did wonder when he first appears, is he meant to be 25? I guess he is, because it's a long time ago for Vincent Cassell. Yeah, yeah, yeah he probably was about 25. Yeah, he doesn't does look he's it. Looking, he's looking in his early 40s, aren't yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say, yeah, he, uh, you know, he's, a, he's, a striking, he's a striking presence. He's, he's, uh, he he's very good on screen, but um, he really works that ratty moustache and the greasy haircut to he look does, as horrible as possible. Well, I think the thing is, right, and it, maybe it's a testament to the actor, is that you yeah. certainly believe that he's just been released from prison yeah. and he's probably yes, hopeless. You do believe it, don't you? Yeah, totally. And Vincent Cassell, it does have a presence. He's not. He he, he doesn't look like that normally. He, he's very charismatic too, um, yeah. and he, he, yeah. we can in other films, you know, light up the screen. And in this, yeah. he, 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 as we'll go to the interview from hell. He literally, they're sitting in a, actually having a beer or whatever, and he's kind of like wiping the wiping the beer off the back of his sleeve as he tries to give his interview. Um, it's like you know, can you type? Yeah. Can you can you file? Yeah. Have you worked with spreadsheets? Oh, yeah, spreadsheets, yeah. What type of spreadsheets? Oh, you know, the German ones. <laughs> All the spreadsheets. All the I've spreadsheets. not used the spreadsheets for a while. The the yeah. I mean, this is something about uh, French culture as well, because in, in the workplace, in the canteen, everyone's drinking beer and smoking. I know, yes. Mental. <laughs> it's like, Wow. What, what, what's going on? This is like debauchery. Well, I see he's drinking a beer and the next scene, because he obviously gets the job and, and he's not very good at doing the job, but the next scene after having his, his uh, beery lunch, he's trying to work the binding machine and the ring binders are flying everywhere. So maybe <laughs> yeah. that's the foreshadow. He's like, keep the booze yeah. out of the canteen. <laughs> and the thing is, it, it's, wor- it's worth adding that um, he, he's patently not qualified for the job and he's patently not 
uh, a candidate who should ever get the job. I but don't what, know about that. He's trying. Yeah, his best. He's trying. Yeah, I know. But you wouldn't. No, I'm sorry. You wouldn't hire that. You wouldn't hire Paul, would you? So like, I've just come out of prison. I don't have anywhere to live. I was in for armed robbery. He didn't say that at the time. But you'd think, oh, maybe we'll pass on this guy. Surely there was another candidate. <laughs> Surely there was another candidate. He couldn't have been the only candidate. And you know, you'd go out. You'd go out to interview again, wouldn't you? That's what you'd do. <laughs> but the point is, is that she's recruited him because, in some respects, she sees an opportunity both to train him up I guess to a certain extent but more so I think because she she then has someone who she has some control over and she has some um, authority in the office over so it's quite a manipulative thing that she's done to hire someone who she can basically tell what to do knowing that he is totally reliant on her Oh, and this reliance is is further exacerbated very soon when she comes in early to the office and finds Paul there already, um, having clearly just slept in a cupboard, and she finds out that he's indeed living in the cupboard because he's left he's left the the halfway house and um has got nowhere else to go, which would of course mean if they found out he'd be fired, she'd be in trouble, um, he'd probably go back to prison. So she, again, because they have lots of building apartments, she there was a half completed um kind of condominium place where she can give him a, a studio flat to live in until the whole thing is completed which would be six months so he's basically living in a a nice flat for six months rent free um which is a great way to get back on his feet and she also gives she's letting him some money as well she gives him some money as an advance on his yeah. wages um and again i think you know paul having come from prison where if someone is nice to you and gives you things at a place to place to stay you have to respond in quid pro quo so he tries to have sex with her not really in an assaulty way he, he does his best in his Paul way to seduce her but it ends terribly like he she shoves him off slaps his face and runs away screaming or crying um and he's left like I thought that's what you wanted is not what you wanted because he is very guileless about why she's doing it why she's being nice to him if she doesn't want something from him yeah he's very emotionally immature yeah. but in some ways I think she is also very emotionally immature as well because what she is doing is effectively looking for that companionship in someone who is totally inappropriate yeah. for her and the environment that she is in yeah. and he doesn't know how to deal with her particularly her kindness or what he perceives to be kindness at that yeah. particular point yeah. in time i mean it is kindness but it's also for a reason yeah and so again following that is um she then but then she does realize there is a way he can repay her because in the the office politics as we mentioned um one character in particular is getting her to do all his work and then he, he sweeps it off at the last minute so he can present it and get the commission fee. So um, she is deprived of kind of the kudos of having completed a building project and this guy's just basically getting the commission for nothing. So um, she recruits Paul um, to steal, I think, is it Morel? Steal this guy's... Uh, Morel, um, yeah. Steal this guy's, steal the plans from this guy's car um, on the day he's meant to be presenting it to the council. And so... Um, the idea is then she will have the duplicate plan. She will go in the council instead and get all the credit for it. And, and Paul is very, hold it happens, doesn't it? Yeah, Paul, Paul is very reluctant to do this because obviously breaking the law is back inside. But yeah. she very explicitly says, you do owe me. You know, you, yeah. I, I didn't want you to have sex with me, but you, but you do, do owe me do for owe what me. I did. Yeah. So he's got no choice. He does that. Mm -hmm. And actually it works. It works very well. Yeah. Um, and then further along the, in the plot line, um, there is a... There was a further difficulty with one of the, the, the contractors or the, um, the the people who give out the permits is is playing hardball. He basically, it's been established this guy's corrupt. You've got to give him a backhander if you're going to get anything yeah. done. But, but they're not giving him enough. Yeah. So she she says to her boss, maybe I can you know have a little word with him and just you know smooth over this this problem is just psychological. Like I'll chat to him, take another tack. And they say, go on, have a try. And um, 
this new track is basically Paul and one of his mates coming over and beating this guy up. Yeah. And she's on the building site saying, yeah, I've, I've just heard from him. He's fine. He's 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 completely compliant now. Yeah, it's nicely played in that regard, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, um, you know, the, it, the violence escalates to a certain extent as well, because this Morel character is obviously not happy about the situation, about having his... Um, his his uh, moment in the sun at the local kind of yeah. council by kind of presenting his report, uh, and uh, Paul basically in the toilet of the office beats him to a pulp as well. Um, he, well he's not, basically it's not quite, well, he, not quite that no, violent. He's, he's, he's no. about to assault Carla, and he's That's dragged right. off by Paul. Uh, so he's not yeah. super violent. The, the next no, super violent scene, also in the toilet, things going on in these toilets, uh, <laughs> is when um, Paul's past catches up with him when. Uh, yeah. It turns out Paul, before he went to prison, borrowed 70,000 um, from a loan shark and it's now come to collect. So Paul gets beaten up or he gets his nose broken um, and he's got to get the money by tomorrow. So his, he has to basically go and talk to this uh, loan shark whose, whose name is Marchand, who owns a nightclub. And the solution was he will now work for Marchand as a, as a bar, barman in his nightclub for free until the debt is paid off. He'll get food and he'll get tips, but that's all he's getting. He's going to work and, for free until the debt is This is night work as well. So it's, it, you know, he's, 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 he can't basically work in the office during the day and, and in the bar at night. So he has to he has to basically tell Carla, I can't do the job anymore. And she's, we, you know, distraught, effectively. Yeah, she's, she's very heartbroken. In fact, she, in, in between that moment, I think she's uh, she's already asked Paul to come out to, to have a drink with her um, and go to a party with her friend. We've also, again, mentioned that... Um, Carla, again, Carla doesn't have many friends, but one of her few friends she does have, she, who uses as a babysitter, so this friend can go off and have a, a very lusty affair um, um, in the end, seedy dark hotel rooms or whatever, and she describes in great detail how she uh, how she's having this, how it feels so liberating to be a piece of meat, to be to be uh, just a purely sexual being, as you know, Carla's just sitting there <laughs> looking after a baby and, uh, and yeah. eating up a cup of soup for one. Well, um, there, is a, there is a nice scene, there is a nice scene when she is looking after her friend's baby in her flat by herself and you th- you know it's one of the few instances where you think actually maybe being hard of hearing might be a useful <laughs> skill to have because she basically just takes a hearing aid out while the baby is screaming and it's totally silent she just sat uh, there rocking the baby and i thought I well you know what some clouds have silver linings <laughs> don't they I related to that scene so much, yeah, because she's, she's not neglecting <laughs> the baby, she's still holding oh, no, no. it. Yeah, she's still holding it. Yeah, yeah. It's screaming in her ear. <laughs> yeah, so she's probably got incredible patience. Yeah, that was that was that was quite a win for Carla. But um, yeah. so not notwithstanding, she takes Paul to this party that her friends and other friends are holding. Um, not again to to really get anything from Paul, other than the cachet of having someone on her arm and just feeling yes. yes. companionship, being seen, being seen and observed by other people who are her similar age to her, who are perhaps slightly more glamorous than her. That she is with an attractive or at least you know rough and ready young man. Again, you're right. There isn't anything sexual in it necessarily but it's very it's emotionally important for her yeah there are probably more overtly sexual scenes when um when she thinks about Paul, she there's a few scenes where she takes her clothes off and stands in front of a mirror. Um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. in high heels, sometimes in a shirt she's taken home with his to clean, so she just puts his yeah. shirt on to smell him. Um, yeah. So clearly she's having lustful thoughts about Paul anyway. But yeah. now, but Paul is now gone. He's out of her life um, because he's working in the bar, and she doesn't recruit another assistant. She carries on basically as she was before, really, um, until Paul returns um, and invites. On lunchtime. Her at lunchtime. Having a beer and smoking a cigarette in the canteen. <laughs> He's always smoking a cigarette. This is so dated. Um, he comes back, comes back to um, into her life, saying, "Would you like to? Would you like to come to go to his club?" Um, yeah. And she gets very excited. She's well happy about this. She's, she's very she's happy. Like, oh wow! Again, there's a there's a touching scene before she goes, where she's sitting in a in her sofa at home, rehearsing the things she would say in the club, where she's, "Oh, yeah. it's, I'll come back to my place. Oh, it's so late. I must go. Oh no, I don't have a boyfriend. La la la." And yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. 
So she's very touched. Oh, sad. It's actually sad, isn't it? I mean, it, it gets, it gets even sadder as, as she comes to the club. Paul shoves a gin and tonic in her face and says, "Come with me outside." Um, yeah. And he, ta- he takes her to the adjacent building of the club, takes her to the rooftop <laughs> where she's wearing a heavy coat to stop her from freezing, and hands her a pair of binoculars and says, "I need you to look at the window of the flat directly above the club, because in that flat is Marchand and a couple of uh, criminals called the Carambo Brothers." <laughs> the Carambo Brothers. Carambo. Which I would, I would like to see a film called the Carambo <laughs> Brothers about the Carambo Brothers. You, you think, oh, it's like a Mexican it's circus, maybe. No, no, it would be a very different film. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in, yeah, in his duties as a barman, Paul has had to serve champagne to the boss in his, his studio flat above the uh, nightclub. And yeah. in doing so, he has found out that Marchand is up to his neck in some kind of heist planning with these two criminal elements that Paul recognises from prison, but they don't recognise him. So he knows something big is going down, but he doesn't know what it is. And what does he think of? I need someone who can lip read. So he, he remembers that, um, that Carla has this ability to read lips. And so puts her up with a pair of binoculars and somehow convinces her to be his his accomplice in this. Uh, the idea is she will read lips as they plot in there night after night in this flat and give him the intelligence um, as to when when this heist is going down. Uh, and uh, one, one, of, one of the interesting things at this point is, is that you, you start to realise that both Paul and Carla do need each other. There's no real reason for Carla to be on top of that particular um apartment block really other than the fact that she's there because she wants paul to need him to yeah need because her. and vice yeah. versa paul needs yeah. her for the lip reading yeah and again um she offers she she offers he says you know i'll split the money with you and she yeah. does say she doesn't care about the money but her condition is paul has to come back and work days at the office so yeah. basically she wants it back as it was whilst they're also at night he's working the bar and she's reading lips so they're both exhausted but they've got this plan on they're working on it together they've got a, a common goal um, so this this goes on again night after night, during which Paul manages to quite cleverly obtain a, a copy of the key um, to the apartment. So they've got their egress. And the idea is she will, when she spots the heist coming in um, with their bags of loot, she will alert Paul to it and um, and he will nip up and get the money. And then they're away and they're, they're OK. Um, so this continues. There is, again, there's a moment when I think she either, either Carla is trying to just you know, um, feel out her own attractiveness and sexuality, or she just gets bored with Paul's indifference because she does at one point get very glammed up and go to the nightclub as a nightclub uh, guest, um, yeah. which gets the attention of these predatory men, which Paul is screaming at us, leave them alone, they're, they're scumbags, um, get back to get back to the roof. Um, and they are scumbags. They are indeed scumbags. That she's being sexually assaulted in, in one of their cars or her car, yeah. not sure which, and she's screaming um, for help. And Paul comes to her rescue and um, drags the guy off her and beats him up and then, you know, tells him to beat it, basically. And she basically, and you know, they hug and he, she, she's crying and he says, you know, are you, are you OK? Are you OK? Are you fine? She's like, yeah, thank you. Right, back on the roof then. Back on the roof, up we go. <laughs> it literally is that quickly. She, she yeah. goes nestled in his arms. She's, she's like, what? Oh, what? Yeah, he's literally got the binoculars out as soon as she stopped crying. Yeah. Um, but indeed, every, everything everything from that scene, actually, from the moment she gets glammed up and, and there's yeah, the, like this, yeah. you think th- things happen. She's assaulted. It moves the pace, doesn't it? Yeah, because her, her knees are like her knees are bloody and her tights are ripped from this assault as as the whole plot rockets ahead. Because at that night, she sees um, the gang come in with oh, Marchand come in with the garbage bags full of, of the loot, which I don't know what it is, but it turns out to be lots of money. Um, they come in with the loot and 
As this is happening, Marchand has also told Paul to drive his wife home. His wife is very drunk and distraught that Marchand, probably correctly, is having affairs um, behind her back. Um, the wife is said so drunk she vomits on Paul's jacket. And so, <laughs> it's really evocative and visceral as well. So he's, he's dripping with vomit. I know. He, he leaps out of the car. And he's pulled over in the lay-by and yeah. pours Evian water on his jacket to wash the vomit off and wash the smell out of his mouth. As this he's woman, gagging. Yeah, We're he's all gagging. gagging. The, the, the wife in the back is still just violently ill. Um, Carlo is calling up saying, I'm doing with the loot is. Uh, yeah. so, uh, so then she, he, he goes back to grab the loot whilst Carla has gone to his apartment to get him a change of shirt. Um, so whilst he is fruitlessly searching the apartment, he can't find it. She has gone into his apartment and found a passport and a ticket, a one-way ticket to Johannesburg. So she knows he's going to clear off. And she's yeah. very, very upset by this. And the read that I got was, it's not that he is... She doesn't think he's planning to steal all the loot and leave her alone. He's just going to leave. He's going to take his fair share and go. And it's the abandonment that she she hates the most. She really feels betrayed by the fact they're no longer going to be together. Um, yes, uh, absolutely right. It's the abandonment. And for someone who has been described in the film as extremely lonely, that abandonment must be very deep. So um, so Paul comes back very angry now that he hasn't found the loot in the apartment. He thinks that she's made a mistake. So then Carla's she... very angry as well. Yes. <laughs> Carla <laughs> then chooses to go over the apartment and find it for herself, um, yes. convinced that she did find it. Um, and she's barely in there for a minute when Marchand comes back. So she nips into the cupboard um, to, while he basically sits there, I think, just to recover from the, the, the heist of the night's work or whatever. And she then cranks up her hearing aid so she can basically spy on him listening through the door. And it's quite a nicely played scene, isn't it? Actually, it is. She, yeah. she hears Marshan moving around the apartment using her hearing aid mm-hmm. and a sense of the spatial awareness of where things are, which she might have a better awareness of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, you know, she hears beer bottles being kicked. She, she, she hears him walking on kind of harder surfaces, softer surfaces, goes into the fridge, perhaps. Yeah. And the when, she, when, she, when he leaves the apartment, she's able to reverse engineer that, that walk, mm. making the same sounds until she finds in the freezer is the loot. So it was there after all. And it's big sacks of money. So she grabs the money, sticks it in the car, and then confronts Paul, who's working behind the bar because he still has to do his job, and essentially says, I know about your plan to go to Johannesburg. <laughs> yeah. the ticket and the passport in his face um, and, and says, you know, if you're not in the car in 10 minutes, I'm, I'm leaving. leaving. Yeah. Which, which is, is where the, the whole plan trips up because until then it was the perfect crime. But when Marchand finds his money gone and sees the most suspicious member of his staff putting on his jacket and leaving, yeah. um, he, quickly, he puts two and two together and gets he, four. Yeah, um, he, he works out correctly that Paul has yeah. stolen his money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and, and he drags, He's right. Yeah, he drags Paul <laughs> off to his own apartment and handcuffs him to the radiator and beats him senselessly. Um, yeah. And and so now Paul is is locked in the bathroom, semi-conscious. Uh, semi-conscious. Yeah, he literally has to shake himself into into sensibility. While Marchand, like, Marchand is also terrified as well because the Carambo brothers are not to be messed with. Yes, so, so yeah, Marchand is in a bind as well, um, and his his only hope is to get Paul to talk. He's, he's trying to drown him in the bathtub too. Yes. It's the whole nine yards. Um, so whilst Paul is locked away in the bathroom, and Marchand is trying to persuade the Carambos not to immediately kill him, um, Paul it finds the, the the Johannesburg ticket and the passport in his jacket and thinks, well, that's yeah. damning evidence if ever there was one. So he <laughs> that's not a good situation. No. Yeah. But then he hits upon a plan, which is quite a good one, but it depends on a few things. Firstly, he has to rely on the fact that Carla is back on her vigil point on the roof looking into the windows. And without knowing that she's there, because he, he can't see her, but she can see him, he has to stand up and mouth his plan to her, hoping she is there and she will understand him. Uh, and luckily now, there, there is a likelihood that she will be there because 
she was waiting in the car and saw Marchand accost Paul on his way to the car to meet her. Yeah. So she, there is an expectation that he's been taken to that apartment. And so yeah. therefore it is likely that she would be on top of the yeah. apartment. Yeah. And so we didn't know the plan. All we hear is just these, uh, these vague, you know, we, we as, 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 uh, Carla gets yeah. the plan. Yeah. And, and she's saying, speak, speak, speak more slowly, speak more slowly. Yeah. We, we, we. Yeah. yeah, so all we all we see is him mounting the bike. We don't know what, what he plans, but he, he gets his ticket and he sticks it into Marshan's jacket. And then Carla enacts the plan, which is to go to Marshan's wife, um, confess to be his mistress, um, and yeah. and, and say, she's I, confessing. I, she's confessing to be his mistress to her, saying that she's stolen a load of this loot. And she wants to um, split well, it with does, her because she's been cheated on as well. She she's, 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 she's an outraged <laughs> mistress. Um, yeah. And, and my, yeah, an outraged mistress. Yeah. yeah. My chance, well, maybe again in France, the mistress has proprieties. Like you don't, you don't cheat on your mistress. <laughs> well, it's part of the marriage, isn't it? <laughs> um, my chance wife again is quite devious of this because again, we said she, um, Carla is not conventionally attractive, um, and literally the wife says, "I understand you're not his type. You're not blonde. You're not even pretty." <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, uh, where Bugs is quite clever foreshadowing, where Carla takes the information from her friend who's having the affair and uses the exact words, saying it wasn't about attractiveness it wasn't about it was about being sex it was about being a, 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 you know, a mindless piece of meat that's what it was all about and because she is able to correctly get across the uh, the wording of her friend it comes across as true because it is true and it's it's the wife believes it um whereupon the wife immediately calls Marchand and yells at him loud enough i know the about the money i know about the mistress yeah and i know about the ticket to johannesburg in your jacket <laughs> yeah. which really, she's very specific because then the crambos find the jacket find the ticket and then Marchand is in all kinds of trouble um he is and Marchand is absolutely terrified he's bricking it it's brilliant. It's a really good piece of acting. I felt I was I felt sorry for him because because this, this character he's been the nightclub and he's been very cocksure for the whole movie. He's been yeah, yeah, cock of the walk, and now he's very very scared for his life. Yeah. Um, so he's beaten up too, and they're both dragged off to Marshan's house uh, where they're chained again to a to a radiator as the Cranber brothers try and turn over the place looking for their money. Carla has has basically fed the wife a handful of Valium, and they've both gone off into the cupboard to hide. And while that's happening. Um, Paul has able to pick the locks of the handcuffs and free both himself and Marchand. Um, when Marchand grabs a kitchen knife and goes after the Crambos, and off screen has some kind of Mexican standoff where they all kill each other, um, quite neatly removing themselves from the picture, which just leaves Carla and Paul to grab the loot and, and make their getaway. And they've, they've made the getaway, they're, they're fine. Um, yeah. It's all good. There is a coda, though, isn't there? Final fly in the ointment, which is yeah. always what trips up on these heist things, is that Paul has been seeing throughout the movie his parole officer. Um, and the parole officer said, you missed one appointment, you better have a good excuse. You missed two appointments, you're going back to jail. Yeah. And Paul has already had one missed appointment when he had to go and see Marchand initially when to pay off the loan. Um, and Carla covered him saying, you were doing work for me. I sent you on an early job. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was a thing. So he had his one good excuse. But now he's, 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 this day happens to be his due date to see his parole officer a second time. And his face is a bloody mess and he obviously can't see him like this. Otherwise, it's very obvious to be up to something. Um, and as they pass by the courtroom, he realises, I can't see my parole officer like this. I'm going to miss my second appointment. I have two strikes and I'm back in jail. So it's all over, except for the fact that an entire subplot has been running along this film with this parole yes. yeah. wife has gone missing and then he asks around her and she's still missing and then he calls the police and then he tries to kill himself and then yeah. seen in handcuffs so he, the parole officer yeah. is being led away in handcuffs the subtext the point at which they're driving past the court yeah so the point of which being we think the process probably killed his wife 
and is yeah. now under arrest. And so he doesn't have to report to him. They've got away scot-free. So they... And it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's a totally hermetically sealed subplot. Yeah. And whilst you're watching it, you're thinking, well, what's this got to do with anything? And it's only until almost the very last scene that some of those the, the things tie together in, in, in some respect. And, you know, the implication is the parole, the parole officer is probably, has probably killed his wife in compassion, I would have thought, because of dementia or something like that. But he's never he quite could, explained. No, he, could, he, could just, he, he could have just killed her because he's a serial killer. I mean, yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, we don't know. But they, they get away. Um, so, so few that Deus Ex Machina pulled our fat out of the fire. Yeah. Uh, they get away. They park up. At which point, uh, Carla hops on Paul, and they have a little smooch <laughs> session that she's always dreamed of. And it's like romantic. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. It was about as romantic as it was portrayed in the movie. It was, <laughs> but it was portrayed in the movie quite realistically. In the sense, it was. It felt like it was a scene of relief more than. I mean, it's obviously yeah. a, a scene of relief. That's what it is. It's relief, isn't it? Um, but it, it, it was. It was like basically, yeah, all of that pent up frustration and tension i guess is just released at that point they've got away with it so but indeed indeed the normal sex scenes of movies is you normally get it in the first third of the movie to kind of yeah, you it's interesting yeah, yeah. you don't have a sex scene in the final act unless it means something they they it was that release because they're all a mess they've, they've slept for two days his face <laughs> yeah. to a pulp she's had her knees all scraped up and they, they're all yeah. just knackered but they yeah they basically come together and it, it's kind of it actually the camera does this thing where it, it zooms in on just a, a just a small area of, of the action kind of there's black out everywhere else and that's happened previously with their daydreams so it's like you know, a fantasy of connection has come true for her yeah and it, it's not even something that happens in the final act of the film it's the final scene of the film yeah yeah and and with that final scene we have concluded uh uh mm-hmm. so join us uh don le interval when we will be uh reviewing uh some of the themes in the movie oh voila Welcome back, dear listener, to uh, our foreign language feature of our... <laughs> we are so cosmopolitan, aren't we? <laughs> Whereby, um, we, sh- we will now look at the, uh, the themes of uh, Sumalair, anything we can draw from it. But firstly, um, I would invite James, why did you choose uh, this movie to watch? Um, yeah, so thank you, Hugh. Sumalair, uh, 2001. Um, I uh, chose the film... Uh, was, uh, there's there's two reasons actually. The 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 the, the first reason is um, in 2001 when this was released, I was uh, studying at Goldsmiths College in um, South London, south of the river, one of the University of London, well, the, the University of London's only south of the river university. <laughs> um, so I felt I felt you know a little bit cocky, kind of um, up myself perhaps, and. Um, I would um, every Wednesday go to the Renoir Cinema at Russell Square. Um, so the Wednesday afternoon, I would go to um, the I would go to Senate House, uh, the library of the University of London, and you know do some work on on my masters. And then afterwards, I would go to the cinema at the Renoir, which is around the corner. And obviously, I had a lot of French films, a lot of continental films, a lot of um, you know really good and really good grounding and education in. Um, French cinema actually and I learned a lot of uh, about French cinema and, and, and you know various actors and directors and style and stuff and Read My Lips was one of the films I saw um, in that period of time you know it's, it's a slightly pretentious um, you know student studying philosophy at Goldsmiths College so you know oh look at me I'm you know, I'm not no 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 I'm not going to go and watch Pearl Harbor 
cinema. I'm going to watch a French um, French crime noir. That's what I'm going to do. I don't care what anyone says. Um, and I when, I, when I was um, at university, I watched There's Something About Mary. <laughs> well, there we go. It's all good. It's all good. Um, and uh, read, read my lips. I watched it at the cinema. I remember it, 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 enjoying it vaguely. Um, but I, I can't. I have to say, I, as the time has gone on, it's, it was one of a number of films that I saw during that period of time, and I can't really remember anything about it. And the opportunity came up to pick it because I'd recently watched um, uh, a film, uh, a new a new film by Jacques Audiard called The Sisters Brothers, which oh. stars Joaquin Phoenix and uh, John C. Riley uh, and Riz Ahmed as well. And actually, it's got J- Jake Gyllenhaal in it as well. And it's a really good Western it's based yeah. on a book by Patrick DeWitt. Uh, it's a really good book as well. It's one of my favourite books. I would heartily recommend the film. And it just reminded me that Jacques Audiard is a really interesting director of very different types of films. So as well as um, The Sisters Brothers, he's also directed a film called A Prophet, or Un Prophet, which is a prison drama, uh, French prison drama, about a, a, a gangster who's kind of changing his life in prison. Um, he's made a film called Rust and Bone, starring Marion Cotillard of Inception fame, mm-hmm. um, as uh, um, someone who is a paraplegic um, and f- um, falls in love with a, 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 a kind of like a, a, a burly, kind of uh, aggressive guy. Really good film. He's also done a, a fantastic crime thriller called The Beat That My Heart Skipped from the mid 2000s. So, you know, and, and he's also done a, a, a kind of social realist drama called Deepan about. Um, uh, refugees um, from Sri Lanka and making their life in in France as well. So he's a really eclectic director of very very well regarded international films. Um, but Read My Lips is totally forgotten in that in that category. In was his, this his debut or an early film? Of it his was name? his second, a very early film, his second film. Um, but it is never talked about when people talk about Jacques Audiard. And I'm not saying that Jacques Audiard is a household name, yeah. but if you are into international film, if you like French film, you will know who Jacques Audiard is. He's, a, he's one of the key exponents of French cinema. He's a very famous director in France, and he has moved into the international sphere with, my, with the Sisters Brothers as well. So you know, he's a very famous director in his, in his own country and has a good reputation internationally as well. But Read My Lips... Is just not known. And I thought, well, we have had recently, the second reason was we have had recently a number of films where the cast has been almost entirely male. So Memphis Bell was an almost entirely male cast. I mean, you know, it is what it is. That's fine. It's of the time. It's what it's going to be. Um, The People Under the Stairs, although there was a a young girl, and it's predominantly a male male, um, film, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, But um, there was another one as well that we saw um, that we had recently, uh, that was almost entirely male uh, as well. Trespass, that was it. Yeah. So it's been a sausage fest. It's been a sausage fest, yeah. And and so I thought, well, um, I know that Read My Lips has a strong female lead, actually, who who, who, with with Vincent Cassell takes um, a lot of the kind of heavy lifting. I like Vincent Cassell. And Emmanuel Devos in the film won the French equivalent of the BAFTA or the Oscar of that year. She won the César Award for Best Actress. And in the year that she won it, there were a lot of heavy, heavyweight French actresses going for it as well. So Isabel Huppert for The Pianist um, uh, was was the main one effectively in that that regard as well. So a lot of things thought, well, uh, it's just an interesting film. I'd like to have a chat about it. Yeah. And I guess also, again, uh, true to the weekend of Crombie's criteria, it was a financial flop. Oh, total financial flop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And uh, it didn't really do anything in the UK, really. Um, nobody's really talks about it on, on Letterboxd, social website that I use quite a lot. It's not seen by that many people. You know, a couple of thousand people have watched it or at least logged it. Um, and uh, it, it, for me, it feels like it's a bit of a lost film in Jack Audiard's filmography. It's a bit of a lost film in Vincent Cassell's filmography as well. And Emmanuel Devos isn't particularly a household name either in France or the UK, I would say. But yeah. um, you know, she, she's, she's got a very strong role in it and won awards. So I think, well, it might be one of those Breaker Morant type films, which is very well regarded, um, but it's just totally not talked about or not really focused on at all. Yeah. Okay, good choice. Right. With that said, would you like to dive into some of the themes you take from this? There's a couple of things, first of all. Um, the, 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 the way that we've described the film, you, you, might think that it's a, you might think that it's a crime thriller. And it certainly is. There's certain elements of the film, that certainly the second half of the film becomes pretty much about the heist. As it, yeah. It's a heist yeah. movie in that regard. You might also think that the film is about... Um, a romance, I suppose, or, or in a kind of traditional sense of two people from very different backgrounds meeting and kind of getting on and all this kind of stuff as well. Um, and you, you may therefore think that it's about sex, I guess, in some regards. You might think that it's about um, the kind of relationship. I don't actually think, I think it's about all of those things. And I think it's about none of those things as well, which I think is really interesting about the film and the way that I, I, I kind of like really engaged with how the film was presented in that regard. Ultimately for me, I think the film is about connection in some way or some form yeah. between um, two people who individually are totally lost and not really functioning in the environment that they are in, but together bring about some kind of potential within them that is bigger than each of them individually is able to deal with. But together, they work really well together. Yeah. And so in that regard, it's about companionship and connection to someone else. And as a consequence of that, to building their own self-esteem up and their processes. They need each other. They are reliant on each other. And it is, it, independently, things don't work for them. But together, they're very effective. And so for me, the highest aspect of it, as well as it's done, is a bit of a MacGuffin. Yes. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't. The heist movie doesn't really matter. The deafness aspect of it actually doesn't really matter that much. It's a. It's a conceit to hang the movie on. What it's actually about is that it's about Carla and Paul finding each other and working out throughout the movie what it is that each other actually means to them. Yeah. And they use their skills in a mutually beneficial way. And I, I liked the way that that was kind of presented in the film and, and built through that process very, very well, actually, in my eyes. Yeah, I think it's you're right there in the fact that the deafness that comes into play somewhat is is not really as in. Yeah, it's, it's a way of shortcutting the fact she's isolated and lonely. Um, is, yeah. Plenty of people can be deaf and not neither of those things. But yeah, also, sure, but, again, but you can um, see how it could be. Yes. Yeah. And um, the fact that, again, he. She doesn't need basically the lip reading doesn't actually achieve as much as just sitting on the uh, the balcony with doctors seeing when the loot comes in. So yeah. he, he didn't actually need a lip reader there. He needed an accomplice. The fact that was he he re, he kind of put two and together thinking I need a lip reader. But then again, you know, Carl's probably one of the few people outside the criminal world he knows anyway. So he 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 just went to the first person he could sort of semi trust. Um, and and you're right that the it's it's not really a heist movie because if this was following I guess something conventional, you'd have 
basically they'd be doing the heist on the company because it's just you know if, yeah, it's, yeah. if it's a narrative arc the company's the thing that's pressing carla she's given the wherewithal to get her own back on it in the form of paul and she starts off with small crimes like nicking a folder and beating up a contractor yeah. and end up yeah. with a massive heist where they rip off a huge safe that's in the it's company. about building her confidence isn't it and that's what i mean by the companionship and and, and the fact that together they are they they are able to achieve things more than the sum of their parts yeah yeah um, I, th- I think the film is, it, 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 in that regard, it's. I mean, you, you can't say it's not a crime thriller because there are there are crime thrillery bits in it, but it's a character driven crime thriller at, at, yeah. the le- at least. But it's also a, a bit of a romance film, and it's a film noir. They have a total music. Yeah, I'm going to pick up on that because actually that's yeah. what I took from it exactly. It feels to me like it's almost an anti-noir movie. Yes, um, that's right. That's right. Because... It's got the tropes, but it flips them a bit. Yeah, because in, in a film noir movie, you know, the uh, the roguish man would meet up with the woman and they would mm. have an opportunity that you know, she'd probably seduce him into doing them some petty crimes that would end up in a great big heist and this kind of stuff. But Carla is the, almost the opposite of a femme fatale. Um, yes, she's, that's exactly she's what I'm anything, saying, yes. anything other than sexually assertive or confident and able yeah. to use her wiles to get what she yeah. wants. Um, and again, Paul, though, he, you know, has the, the look of that drifter with a criminal background, is not much of the, the leading man who gets caught up in this thing either way. It's, it's very... No, he's quite it, passive, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's he, he, it's almost like you'd imagine in, in, in prison he'd be able to hold his own, but he's also quite submissive as well. Like he couldn't find the loot and clearly didn't mm. look really hard or try and pass it out. Whereas Carla was able, was more intuitive and able to firstly, she was able to spy on Marshan listening to him, but she probably would have stayed in the in the room until she'd found what she was looking for because she yes. was more persistent. Where he he hits defeat and thinks, Well, I can't do it then. Um, yeah, he's he's a product, it was like he's a product of his prison background, isn't he? In the sense that he's a broken person, he, yeah. he gives up, he doesn't care. You know, he doesn't think he doesn't think any. He doesn't think he's worthwhile. Yeah. For example, when Carla Len, uh, gives him an advance and then sets him up in, in in the condominium, he just assumes that she's doing that because she wants to have sex with him. Yeah. That's what he assumes. So his self esteem is totally he's worthless to him as well, and yeah. she feels totally worthless as well in, in in the way that she's treated. And so the two of them sort of stumble into a film they're lost in many ways. a little bit aren't they yeah, yeah they stumble but, but into they, 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 they stumble into the guy he does not he's not looking for a score it, he's forced no, to, he's no. forced to work from a shand and then he as in the course of his business he sees the opportunity so that's almost the, the first step but they didn't they weren't looking to get a lot of money in and do the score and like again a safe film one thing would be um and and she doesn't push him either she's dragged into it because she wants companionship she doesn't even care about the money they're going for so it's yeah, they, they don't even mention how much money it is. We see a brief glimpse of her holding up a fistful of euros and dropping yeah. them back. No, it's back. a lot, but it's it's and again, it, it's so irrelevant. To the, it? It's so irrelevant to the film. And you're right when you say, obviously, um, at the very end when they when they they've won, they've, the bad guys have killed each other, they've got away with it, and they're running you off. You almost forget, they, don't they? They turn around, they go, don't forget the money. Yeah, yeah, they forget <laughs> the money. They, they're, they're running off, and they they just realise in time that the money's in in the apartment. And if this had been a heist movie, the, the camera would have been on that bag of money the whole yeah, time yeah. because that would be yeah. what everyone's thinking about. And this point, there's barely registering. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so they, it, they have a hug or something. They have, they have a nice moment of tenderness when they realise they've got away and they're together again. And they they back to leg it. And she goes, no, wait, don't forget the money. <laughs> but you're right about the fact that, that, you know, in a traditional heist movie, it would be writ large right from the start. They'd probably do the heist on the office. There's what What you see in the film is that there are moments early on um, in their kind of burgeoning relationship where you realise that Carla's probably got more about her than you think at yeah. the start of the film and is able to manipulate and use Paul. That's what I quite like about Carla's character and the way that Emmanuel Devos plays it. Because at the start, you th- and again, 
you know, if, 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 if this was played a certain way, you would consider the character of Carla to be pathetic yes. throughout the film. And at the start, she is kind of pathetic, but she's also, she, she, she's, you have compassion for her because, you, you, you know, the situation she finds herself in is, is, is quite bleak, but she's quite a pathetic character. But actually, you realise that in, from quite an early point in the film where she decides that she wants, she wants a, a, a young man as her assistant, that there's something interesting in her, that she's not totally just submissive about everything. She's quite manipulative. And it's just having the opportunity to express that manipulation that Paul gives her that yeah. enables her to flourish in certain ways. So she become, and as the film goes on, you see her becoming a bit more sassy. So you're right. She, she, she puts makeup on to go to the the, the club. She starts to, toward the end of the film, she starts smoking. We've never seen her smoke before. Uh, yeah, she yeah. Starts smoking. She becomes, she becomes a bit of a dame. You know, she becomes a bit of a gangster's mole. She's much more assertive than Paul is. She's basically saying, if you don't come out to the car in ten minutes, I'm gone. It's on me now. I'm the one that running this 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 business. It's not quite as strong as that. Don't get me wrong. They're still in it together. But at the same time, she has changed her character. She's come out of her shell a little bit. And he equally is able to think a little bit more on his feet when he is developing the plan to escape the apartment when Marchand has found that the money's gone. He's using his noggin in the way that he knows to develop a plan which is criminally minded to yeah. get out of the situation. Yeah. So that was very good. Um, yeah. So, so think... those, those two things, those two things work quite well together. But it is interesting that I think in the film you have at least three separate MacGuffins. Yeah. You've got her deafness is a, is a is a definite MacGuffin. The heist is a MacGuffin, and I think the sexual tension that you expect <laughs> isn't there. Um, yeah. So you, you said earlier what you might expect in a film is is uh, uh, you know it, the first third of the film or maybe halfway you would expect them to have a love scene where they would where, you know or, 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 or a sex scene it doesn't happen in this which would would have, would have been it, which it would have been the scene yeah. it would have been the scene in the flat under normal circumstances yes, absolutely it would yeah absolutely but it, 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 it's flipped here and it only happens at the end and it only happens at the end because I think there's a release of tension yeah by the fact that they've got away with it. Yeah, it's ironic that again, um, again, there's the common complaint that in a lot of you know um, blockbuster movies, the uh, the romantic subplot is seen as the man's reward. It's not enough that he has to defuse the bomb and save the planet. The, he then gets a woman as well. It's seen as part of the, the prize. Whereas in fact, this is what the film is all about. It's about bringing these two together, and yeah. that's that's what it comes to. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, n- n- neither of them would have discovered their own potential, I don't think, independently of each other, but together they're, 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 a, they're a good team. So um, uh, what I'll do is I'll, I want you to just describe some of the things I liked about the films, and then there may be some of the things that I think are, are, are slightly more problematic about the film as, yeah. as well. So, I mean, you could tell from the way that I'm describing the film that the way that it's set up and the story I enjoyed, I was engaged with it, I was, I was, I was bought into it. It's quite an it's quite a preposterous story in many ways, but the strength of the characters takes you through it in the sense that you can accept some things in it that you think, "Wow, come on," and go, "Well, it doesn't really matter because the point of the film isn't about that. The point of the film is their yeah. companionship." And often in a lot of films, you can ignore you can ignore in films that you like the principle of some things that in other film other films would totally take you out of the film. Yeah, if that yeah. makes sense, I didn't yeah. explain that very well. But but there are certain things in this film where if I didn't if I didn't like the characters, I would have totally disengaged. But in this film, I didn't because I liked the characters. So there are a few things that, that and there are a few reasons why that is the case. The first one is 
the way that the film is directed. So I think the film is directed in a really interesting way by Jacques Audion. He uses a lot of his tropes and his techniques that he uses in other films as well. So his, 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 fil his filmmaking style is full of very tight close-ups. Um, there's a lot of, of very, very kind of tight close-ups of faces and expressions and uh, cameras moving into body parts or specific points of bodies um, and a kind of hazy dreamlike reality in one instance to kind of like a stronger social realist view in another area as well. And that's kind of writ large when you see scenes of Carla in her daydreaming point where there's a kind of like almost a tunnel vision of a specific thing that she's looking at, which when she becomes aware of her surroundings, widens out and the camera widens out as well. So it's very tight to very broad, which I quite liked. And I think it works really well in with the concept of Carla being hard of hearing, because in that context, she has a very isolated world. And it's up to her to decide what she lets in or not by using yep. her hearing aids. I think that's quite clever. And the, the audio visual aspect of the film is quite good as well, because if she's not got her hearing aid in, the technique in the film often is to remove the sound from the film or to create a kind of muffled environment. There's a scene where she's uh, obviously looking after uh, her glamorous friend's child and she takes a hearing aid out and she can't hear the child screaming. <laughs> um, you know, she's not negligent. She's looking after the child, but she's just having a bit of peace and quiet in her head. And there are other scenes as well where things are too oppressive or overwhelming for her. She takes her hearing aid out and she can't hear anything anymore. In other instances, she turns her hearing aid up so she can yeah. hear even more. And I think that's very clever. There's one thing in the club as well. The club is so overwhelming, she can't hear. Of course, no one can hear in a club because it's so overwhelming. Exactly, exactly. But she just she just shuts the sound off and has to lip read then. Um, yes, she does. And actually, that's quite an interesting point because you're right, in a club, nobody can hear. So when you have um, Paul and Carla shouting at each other, Paul from behind the bar, Carla over the that's actually quite normal. It doesn't look it doesn't look unusual in a nightclub. Yeah. And in many ways, because no one can hear, they can have a conversation about their plan in the open. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and she can lip read. She can lip read so he doesn't yeah. have to speak very loudly. The second thing that I liked about the film, and you've alluded to it actually in kind of flipping some of the film noir conventions. So the second thing I liked is the script. Um, so I think that the script does a really, really good job in keeping the keeping us on our toes. Um, I think the film is quite unpredictable. And, and the film is unpredictable because it doesn't do what you expect it to do in a heist film or a film noir or a romance film or a crime thriller or an office drama. It doesn't do any of those things. It kind of flips conventions quite a lot. Um, Paul is a bit of an unknown quantity. He's a bit dangerous because you know that he's been to prison for armed robbery. So you know he has a violent character. Um, and also you think you've sussed Carla, right? You think Carla is this character. But as the movie progresses, she changes and adapts. She becomes stronger. She becomes harder. She becomes tougher. Um, and she becomes more manipulative as well. I think Carla actually owns this film in many ways. She is the one that drives a lot of the, the, the agency in the film. Paul is the one that identifies the heist. Paul is the one that knows the criminal lingo, the kind of the capital, as it were. But Carla's the one that's basically going along with it let's do this let's actually get on with this and, I yeah. think that's and the fact that the fact that she doesn't care about the money shows that it's not about the money because you're right she she is the driving force of the plot but it's she doesn't care about what they're getting from it well what they're getting from each other not the loot exactly and so and because of that i don't think it falls into cliches really they don't they don't end up in i mean they do actually end up in bed they literally end up in bed right but, at the end. But it's not no, in bed it's yeah. in a car and but there's no there's no there's no sense that this is a kind of like a a, a romantic liaison necessarily it's just it's pure animalistic relief 
but there's, there's no like cash changing from hand to hand to hand there's no yeah. fear that one no, of them no, 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 no. It, but the fear is that one will run off after they've split the money um yeah yeah and i think the script does a good a good job in keeping keeping us uh, enough of a distance from the plot points of the film to be surprised at when things happen, but close enough to the characters to feel that the decisions that they make, even though some of the decisions become more and more dangerous or preposterous are realistic in the context of the internal logic of the film and what you expect them to do. Yeah. Yeah. So Carla will go back up onto the top of the condominium, even though she doesn't want to, because it's about the emotional connection that she wants. She's a, she's, she desires that. So she yeah. does it. Yeah. Whereas if it was about the money, I don't know, there's something else about there that would, would add that barrier, I think. Yeah. And for myself, again, I, I agree with the points you made there. The I can almost understand why it didn't do so well, because visually it's underwhelming and deliberately so. It's um uh, yeah. it's Again, I don't know if this is the actual term, but it occurred to me. It feels like a wet concrete drama in the sense that... Oh, um, that's, a, that's a really, really good description. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It feels like it was done on, the ha- on a, a video camera. Yeah, if, if, I mean, the, apart from the, aside from the quality of the actors and the director or anything, the, the production values could be like a BBC made-for-movie, you know, movie of the week. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's that kind of lighting, it's that kind of set. They, it's um, naturalistic almost. You, you mentioned, you actually, we, we clocked, you didn't realise it was in Paris, because the only reason I realised was because there was one shot which is on the roof in the very distance of the Eiffel Tower. It isn't like, you know, yes, let's, show, right. let's show Parisian landmarks and make it glamorous. There's nothing glamorous about this. It's very, very real. The, the fashions they wear are real, the angles they yeah. shot the lighting that they're lit with is very unflattering and very real um, yeah. and it's 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 a it's a it's a very much at the ground level like say wet concrete because you're in lots of buildings where you can there's been raining you can oh, smell the wet concrete rain. yes that's right and actually i think that's that's a really good point and it's a it's a really useful marker to say that that's obviously a, a you know deliberate decision because i think a lot of it is the first half of the film is set in an office and offices are drab yeah. Um, there's nothing exciting about an office, and and neither Paul nor Carla's life is exciting. Yeah. And and so it has to be filmed in a way that you get a real sense. You know, and Paul, uh, Carla's um, apartment is very drab. You know, yeah. it's 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 like a studio apartment somewhere. It's never um, well lit. There's no very never well lit. Yeah. No. She's normally on her own again and it's a bit untidy it's not you know it's not glamorous well like, you know, again we, we mentioned there's a few moments when um again she, she's just feeling she's trying to get to grips with her own sexuality so it takes her clothes off and stands in front of the mirror that is shot in a very unglamorous way it's shot from an angle where you don't even see her head or most right. of her body it you is in the lower half of her body yeah, and, and the lighting isn't yeah. good and so you, you you get what she's doing but it's not like presented as this is a glamorous shot of an actress that i'm going to show to you in the audience it's just like this is something that happened in her small darkly lit apartment yeah and it's it, it's it's the act and the actions of someone who's sad and lonely yeah, yeah and probably depressed um it's all of those things the third the third the third reason why um i was engaging in the film was so we've got the directing the script and the third reason was the acting as well um so you know you've got you've got the three key parts of, of making a film you know worth watching i think direction script and acting acting particularly emmanuel devos i think um she, she's sublime in this and what she does really 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 well and i have mentioned it and i'm, I'm probably banging on a little bit but i i didn't expect her character to develop the character arc that it 
did. And by that, I don't mean that at the end of the film, she was a totally different person to the start of the film. I don't think she is at the end of the film, but she has presented characteristics and actions that you can see that are in her, but it just that they're brought out by the relationship that she has with Paul. It's a really subtle way of acting. I mean, the, the role is, it must've been a very difficult role to play because she's both submissive and tetchy. She is both yeah. angry and passive. She is pathetic, but also a points in the film where she has real agency and strength. Um, but all of those things happen all the time as well. So they're not, it's not like at the start she's, she's pathetic and at the end she's a really strong character. At the end, she's, you know, she's got her makeup is a mess. She's terrified, um, but she's kind of just going along with it. At the start, she's, she is, she, she's, a, she, she's, she's, you know, not in a good place. So her, her role in it really carries the film really well. She's the fulcrum within which the whole kind of the film revolves. Um, Vincent Cassell is a presence. You know, he, he is a very fine actor and he looks and feels in a film um, to be the centre of attention a lot of the time. But in this, in this film, he's really ratty. He's really, um, he's not confident in many ways. He's, he's very, he's very, um, he's very submissive in other ways as well. And, and actually he, he nails that role as well. So them two together, their chemistry, I think is really good. Anything else? Well, you've covered a lot of the, the points I have in terms of, uh, again, the, the style. I think, again, we, we've, I'd agree with that. The, 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 the leads are good. Again, the, the plot's tight. I will say, if anything, again, the structure and the plot is, is, it's hard to say it's his weakest point because it's strong everywhere. But I would say, again, there were things I could pull up. I've got a gun. There were things I could pull up if this was a heist movie, but it's not. That's the thing. I, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, my, my complaints about it are structural and plot-based ones, but that's not what it's about. And it's it's very hard to pull it up on the things it set out to achieve, which was the human connection. It's, I think it could be plotted, but again, I think if it had been you know, the, the, the plot of her turning over her own employment film that was essentially crushing her, it would have had a bit more you know um thematic links because you know it starts mm. off with her pushed down by it she ends up getting control of it but that's i mean that's a different movie that's not what it's here for so yeah, it's, it's, very yeah, hard, it's very hard to pick holes in in what what you wanted to watch and what, what you were watching it's actually it's a it's done a very good job of setting up what it achieved uh, there so i'd like to know i'd like to hear what the what the specific plot points were though i mean what is the structural issues that you have in it because they're probably similar to what i have as well but i agree with you that it's yeah. it's not what the film is trying to do but so it's firstly, important to discuss them. Yeah. So firstly, it was that um, the fact that yeah, it, it's it starts off being that architect's firm that's crushing it, and then switches over to being more of a gangstery plot. I thought actually, yeah. if it stuck with her world and she'd brought Vincent in, or, um, Vincent brought um, Paul into it, it would have probably been a bit stronger because it had been her taking agency over the world that's crushing her. She's not just using what she's learned and and the accomplices of Paul to you know steal a plans should be doing it to you know turn over it in a big way in some whatever mm. way that would be um so and also the yeah the arrival of paul's you know loan sharking yes it's it's conceivable you'd have had a dodgy background but that was a very quick res- resolution of like you had a lot of yeah. money but yeah. well here we go here's the plot where they have to get a lot of money but no <laughs> yeah. actually you, you're going to work for a gangster who's then going to acquire money you know and paul at this point doesn't desperately need money he apart from that everyone needs money he doesn't yeah need money or his life's in danger he's just doing it because he sees the score which takes away some of the urgency of it um yeah it's almost it, it, the 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 fundamental decision he has to do the heist isn't yeah. is perhaps the least believable thing in the film actually because up until that point yeah your assumption of paul is that he's trying his best to do the right thing 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is, but then, but then, this is counterintuitive, and that might be just because he is fundamentally a career criminal, or at least he's fundamentally trying to keep his nose clean, which is which has happened because he was very yeah. adamantly not against breaking into a car, which is again, he would get sent true. down, but it's no. it's small fry. So the fact he decides to pull off a major heist with whom he knows of violent criminals is a big leap. Um, yeah. Also, in terms of the, I mean, I really like the fact that you know, in when Paul's hour of need, he works out quite a clever psychological plot to manipulate yeah, yeah. Marshan's wife yeah. and everything like that. That was good, except that was good, but th- the way he gets this information was very tightly condensed. On the very same night that um, Carol is attacked, and he is sent to drive the wife home, and then she sees the loot come in, and then he. He then spies for the day. So in a space of time where he gets no sleep, he's acquired yes. all the tools he yes. needs for this. And given he's worked at the club for a couple of weeks, I felt that they could have fed that into us a little bit more subtly so that we yes. just thought yes. he's driving the yes. wife home. Oh, it's a crappy job. He's might do all the meaning works. He's getting thrown up on la la la. And this, it's just left there. And we don't recall it much in the same way that I liked was when um, Carol's talking to her friend. Um, about her affair and her friends gushing about this affair and you think it's just there to show how vibrant yes. her friend is and how dull Carol is and in fact it's not it's, it's arming her with the information she has to, to do out this plot at the very end so that was good and I thought other bits weren't quite as clever as that and I, if they'd all been as, as subtly put in as that I'd have liked it more yeah uh, yeah I, I think that's right I, I had um, uh, a couple of points that, that I, I was going to address as well one of them is the final the final final plan I guess oh, and yeah, yeah. you know and, and, and there's there's kind of part of the process there is that um, the, 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 the general conceit of the heist i.e that, that Carla looks at the Carambo brothers is it the Carambo brothers yeah, yeah and um, and Marchand through the window she's on the top of a, a, a an adjacent uh, apartment building and she can look through the window um using a binoculars and lip read what the carambo and marchant the carambo brothers and marchant is uh, are saying is a leap of faith a little bit on the basis that it, it depends on firstly them keeping the window the curtains open yeah. Um, in the middle, in the middle of the night, which you know yeah. people don't tend to do. Secondly, that they have to be standing next to the window for her to be able to read it. They can't be anywhere else in the room because you're facing outwards. Them. And facing outwards, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's dealt with also, a also from above, from an elevated angle. From, yeah, from above. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's dealt with a little bit because the, the, the principle is, is that she doesn't capture everything. She doesn't know everything that's going on, and that's part of the risk. Um, she, you know, they, 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 they don't really know whether whether what Marchant has brought in is just garbage. Yeah. Actual literal garbage in, in garbage sacks, or it's the money. They're taking a bit of a gamble, so it is played a little bit. But it is, it is given that they are supposed to, given that the Carambo brothers are supposed to be these, you know, that they, they they know what they're doing with regards to kind of money and heist and the criminal underworld. Draw the curtains. Just you would anyway, right? Because yeah. you know whether someone can lip read or not, someone might be watching you. So draw the curtains. Well, what um, I, what that's took, that. And then the what, very what, what end. Took, yeah, what I took yeah. from that though actually was the fact that her lip reading on the spine on them achieved nothing. Um, because they got they they were getting yes. numbers and dates and everything, and they got didn't matter, use, they got no useful intel from it at yeah. all. All they needed was someone on the roof with binoculars to see when they walked in with a sack and to steal the sack. So in fact, and and that was okay, but actually because. Yeah, that doesn't matter, does it? You can't expect Paul to have a good idea like that. He just thought, I need a lip reader. Oh, I know a lip reader. I'll yeah. get her. Because that was right. So in a sense, that kind of works in bringing her into the plot, even if it, what it, she uh, brings to the, the, 
the party isn't that useful. And if I and that's still pay, a sensible and logical decision as well, isn't it? I mean, that's still a yeah. that's still and okay. It, and, it, and it actually paid off later when he's able to communicate with her without yes. being able to use a telephone yeah. or anything, knowing that she's there and she can read his lips. And in fact, that's the only point in the movie when there is clear communication through that window <laughs> because he's really trying. Yeah, and the very the very end, the very final kind of um, the, the 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 very final kind of plan when when. Paul is um, handcuffed to the radiator and is desperately signalling to uh, Carla uh, uh, what 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 she needs to do to get him out of this bind. Um, it, you know, it, it, he's talking fast. She can absorb all of that information. It's all good. I mean, it's a, it's a good plan. Yeah. It kind of just plays out a little bit too well, um, given everything that could go wrong. And I, I appreciate that the point is, is that in this room, you want things to go well because you invest yeah. in those characters. Yeah. It would be a real bummer if they both got killed you'd be like oh what was the point of that so i i, I get why but it, you know for the amount of stuff that could have gone wrong it relies on carla getting to marchand's wife her agreeing to open her door listen to the story believe it yeah. call marchand then then beat marchand up go over to the, no, the no, house then, then the wife will call marchand and specifically mention the airline jacket yeah, if, you, if, stuff, if yeah. your wife is furious with you about having an affair is she going to mention where you keep your airline ticket yeah, exactly 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 all of this stuff and then when they get to the apartment um everything goes to plan he really um paul unlocks uh marchand he doesn't kill paul for, for some reason. i mean he's probably appreciative of letting him go yeah. but at the same time he knows that paul has stolen the money yeah so he then goes to kill the, Car- the Carambo brothers. They all kill each other and everything works out fine. In the meantime, the wife is drugged on the floor. Very, very fortunately, he, he managed to overpower, overpower the Carambo brothers who are armed with guns with a knife, <laughs> the element of surprise, and yet they kill each other. So it was very... Lucky. Yeah, exactly. So there is, it stretches, it stretches well, belief. You realize what you could have done is just planted the ticket and asked uh, Carla to call them up, pretend to be Marshan's wife and mention the ticket. If, if 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 she if she'd called up saying I'm your wife, Marsha, and I know about the ticket, and the Cram brothers go, hang on, what's this? They would drag Carambo off to his. Um, they'd have dragged Marsha off to his apartment. She'd just stay there with the money and not have to go anywhere. And when they show yeah. up the apartment, he just lets himself go, and it all plays out as before. So, but I think I think that is true. I think the Cram brothers less exciting. Have, it's less exciting, and I think that the Carambo brothers would have killed Paul because they can't let. Uh, I know, but uh, he, he he could have still done his trick with uh, releasing yes, Marsha. Yeah. But yes. That's a less interesting movie. I'm just it and, and again, you know, it's it's played out a little bit too conveniently. It all works out quite nicely. I'm like, alright with that. I don't mind. But when I when I was watching like, it, I thought, blimey, how did he come up with this plan so quickly? That's true. But the, the way I liked the contrivance was the fact that she was able to use prior knowledge to to, to win yes. it over. And then you felt yes. like it earned it because it, it tried. It hard. earned it. Uh, that's true. That's true. So it's 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 a flaw, but it's a minor flaw. I can forgive it. That which is um, almost Paul knowing about the wife that night was too contrived for me because if it'd been a, a, a regular thing where he sees Marshand and his wife gets more upset and yeah. he learns and learns and learns yeah. and then he, he it's in his mind because. If, if you know, it, I suppose someone thought he would stick in the mind, but that wouldn't be first thing I'd thought of if I was beaten up and chained to a radiator. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that, that's true, isn't it? I mean, as you say, what what what's, what what is quite good about the film is that there are some some nice foreshadowing that takes place. The the, the conversation with Carla's glamorous friend uh, is used later in the film. The conversation is used later. In the film. It would have been nice if the the uh, dropping Marshan's wife off and her being sick on his jacket and all this kind of stuff happened at a different point that then could be foreshadowed later in the film uh, as, a, as a point where he remembers that particular situation rather than just at that point. Again, they're minor points, but they're, they're, you know, they, 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 
they do they do matter i suppose to a certain extent the, the you, you, think... you want to tie this all together in like a true film noir plot is you would tie into the corrupt contractor who is demanding money yeah yeah because yeah, they would say get the cranber brothers this guy's got our money the cranber brothers would work up saying where's our money he wouldn't know what they're doing but would also be armed because he's corrupt and they kill each other not understanding what's going on but it would pull together all the little threads they've got <laughs> it would it would but as you said earlier that's not what the film that's is and actually us, me 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 i'm me kind of nitpicking about these things makes me realize that actually in the end all i really wanted was paul and carla to be okay yeah that's what i wanted and so i'm glad it all worked out because they were okay in the end um and the final the final thing that i thought you know maybe the film could do without it was the subplot with the parole officer that but again mad. right it, sorry that was mad for me I, I did not get where that was coming from at it all. didn't need to be in it it didn't it really didn't need to be in it and you know if, if the whole subplot of the parole officer and his missing wife the fact that he actually killed him in the end was so in the end paul can basically he's free because the parole officer has been arrested and so therefore he doesn't have to go anymore. I don't think that matters. The idea would be you make it another day. Yeah. Yeah. You make it another day or, or you just don't have the parole officer. Yeah. Don't have him need to be in parole. It doesn't matter. Does it? It doesn't add anything to the film at all. To the extent that actually I was a bit confused by it. I was like, well, what is this? Yeah. Very I have much no so. recollection of that subplot at all. I have no recollection of it. I do not. I, was, I thought, what is this? Is this a different film? What's happening? Has, has it gone to a different channel and I'm watching something else? See, I was hoping you'd explain it to me, whether this is some kind of reference to film law, whether there's like an inversion of it, or whether this is a, a, a stylistic choice, because it was it was out of nowhere and utterly superfluous. And I kept thinking throughout the film, this is this is going to mean something. Yeah. Obviously, this has to mean something. And if, if it just meant that he could not have to go to the parole officer, I thought, was that it? That whole segment of the film which if you put it all together is probably 15 minutes long yeah was it saying something about loneliness and companionship and this kind of stuff yeah maybe or maybe that everyone has their secrets i I mean i don't know i don't know i don't know whatever it was it wasn't clear and i think that the film would have been perfectly fine without it in fact it would have been without it a tighter 90 minute film yeah um without it now look it doesn't it doesn't detract from the film's general aura but I just feel that I'm not quite sure what the reason was. I, or maybe there was a longer scene or a longer story that was cut and it, didn't, it wasn't felt right. It did. But given that everything else about the film is quite tight, I'm surprised at that. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be interesting if the, the director's ever mentioned that. Uh, I don't know. But I guess if it's not celebrated from the point, it doesn't get talked about much. But it's, no, no. It's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's something that's very hard to puzzle out how it made it in there in the first place, why that would be there were it not for some stylistic or thematic choice yes because, but because it's, it's there, not an obvious maybe it's a french thing i don't know it's not an obvious subplot um it isn't, it's, it isn't. it's it's like if you're going to follow anyone you either follow maybe marchand's mistresses or her best friend having the affair or something like that the last one you'd follow is the parole officer who may or may not have murdered his wife yeah i know who cares <laughs> who cares it's got nothing to do with the film yeah. it's like a little a little kind of side story Just, oh yeah it's two it's two films for the price of one <laughs> But yes, uh, we've already delved quite deep into that now. Um, so if you've nothing else to say, or any other similar films that you'd recommend? Um, well, I, I've, I've described a couple of Jacques Audiard films, which I, I would recommend. Of, of the ones I've mentioned, I would certainly recommend The Beat That My Heart Skipped and Rust and Bone. But I, I, would, I would seek out The Sisters Brothers as well, because that's a, that's a, good, that's a good film. I'm less keen, the, the interesting thing is I'm less keen on his most celebrated film, which is A Prophet, 
which was very well regarded and was nominated for an Oscar as well. Um, and I, I just find that a little bit cliched. And I feel like I've, as a prison drama grows up, I've, I've seen it all before. It doesn't do anything new or different. Whereas so a, a lot of his other, uh, a profit, yeah, un profit. Okay. Um, all of his other films do something slightly different with their material, whereas A Prophet is a straight-up prison drama. And it's and that's the one that did fantastically well. So there you go. <laughs> the only other film that I can think of that is of a similar type in terms of the, the way that the, that the film is set up is um, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, in the sense that you obviously have an apartment block and you can look through things, and he's paranoid, and is, is he seeing what he's actually seeing, and does it matter whether he's seeing it or not, and the relationship he has with... Um, He's, he's it's not quite the same, I appreciate, but it, it shares a kind of similar plot development points in that. Okay. You, and obviously, you know, any excuse to watch Rear Window, if you've not seen Rear Window. Oh, yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> the only, uh, the only uh, film that resonated with me, and it's, it's tenuous, but it's a, it's a borderline TV movie. I'm not sure if it made it in the cinema, but it's called In the Eyes of a Stranger. It's from, okay. it's from 1992. Um, it's got uh, Richard Dean Anderson, Mr. MacGyver and Stargate himself. And, uh, and Justine Bateman is the, um, is the lead. Oh, wow. And, and uh, yeah, Justine Bateman is, again, an overworked young woman who um, I think she witnesses a crime. Um, but um, we, do, we later find out that she, as a child, she had an accident where she lost her hearing and therefore learned to read lips very well. And has since recovered her hearing and is completely um, fine now. But because she saw the crime from far, she was able to read the lips and no one has realised she read the lips. So she has the crime information. And Richard Anson is the cop that is looking after her because she saw the crime. But then she, he gets drawn in on the whole heist thing. So that was that was what I took from it. it was Because uh, when I was watching this, I thought, this is going to come in place. She's going to see something and be able to lip read it. And this is a crime. So it wasn't quite the thing. But the whole idea of uh, lip reading deafness film the wire-ish stuff. <laughs> I there aren't many. There aren't many in that genre, are there? Exactly. How many? How many could there be? So that was the that, that was the other one. I thought it was, it was same in the nineties too. It's quite close proximity to it too. Yeah. Also, it makes me realise two thousand and one doesn't sound that long ago, does it? But it's oh, wow. ages. Yeah, I know. For Twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, nineteen. Nineteen. Well, let's, we're going to be pedantic. We, we, we don't know how long this podcast will last. We could let's be, be accurate. Six months. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, so I think that's it from me. Um, yes. Anything else you wanted to add there? I think I'm done, so we can just go straight to the scores. Welcome back uh, to the final leg of uh, our July episode of Weekend at Crombies, where we shall give our scores out of five floating Crombie heads, half marks not allowed. James, would you lead us off? What is the score for Sir Melèvre? Yes, yeah, so read my lips. Uh, it, it, it's a really interesting um, heist thriller, not heist thriller, romance, not romance, film noir, not film noir, about two lost souls who find themselves and need each other's companionship. And together they are able to fulfil the heights that they aren't able to fulfil individually. I think the film is directed with flair. I think the acting is superb and sublime. Um, and I think the script is um, absolutely fantastic. I think it's as close as I could possibly give to a five star film, but with some reservations that there are a couple of subplots which don't really work for me. And if I'm totally honest and very hard, some of the plot points are far fetched. So I'm going to have to give it four disembodied crombie heads, but it's a very, very, very high four for me. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, 
I think I again had a, a similar reaction. I, I found the leads compelling. Um, it was the story held me. And I think again, my my issues with it in terms of would I give it a rewatch or recommend is is with the plot. It's it's not quite the, the plot that holds me. And again, I, I generally drawn towards the plot. So I think uh, for myself, it's going to be three floating crummy heads, but a high three. <laughs> Okay, that's very good. And I think I think for me, you know, I, I've I've said there that it, it, it's it's borderline five for me. I think it is definitely a four. But one of the yeah. one of the reasons that separates it from say a film like <laughs> I like Breaking that. I, I, I give it three. You say no, it's definitely a four. Well, for me, it's definitely a four. The, <laughs> the, ex- the reason why the reason why it separates uh, from it's from a five star film. It's a, it's a seven. Yeah, it's a seven. Listen, listen, listen. The reason why I haven't given it given it a five, like I might give Breaker Miranda five, is because there's something about a film like Breaker Miranda which has a moral core, which is so distinctly profound that isn't there in Read My Lips. Yeah, it's good for what it is. It's very good for what it is in my mind. Yeah, um, but that's all it can be, and I think I'm satisfied with that. I can understand why you've given it a three as well. I I I, I get that. Uh, often with Weekend at Crombies, there is a nostalgic element to the kind of scores that you give yeah. as well. But it's all good. We both enjoyed it. Indeed, that's the thing. Um, and it's been. Enjoyable. And you never know. You never know with films that I choose that that are ostensibly international in focus. You really don't. You should have heard some of the questions that came from uh, Mrs. Morgan when I was. We were going through this. <laughs> like James Jones's film, did he? Is it a famous director? <laughs> Yeah. We, we both did enjoy it again uh, on, on on review, but uh, but initially it was like he's chosen this film. Why did he choose this film? Well, what's wrong with this film? Why would I? Why would I not choose this film? Well, you know, uh, I, I've spared her some of some of your worst excesses. Uh, uh, <laughs> she got no any of the people under the stairs. Oh well, I'm not surprised. Well then, now dear listener, oh, the Indeed. moment you've all been waiting for. It's nearly the end of the podcast. But before we get to the end and we wrap up and you can tuck yourselves into bed or wake up in the morning and go for a run or have your lunch or at any time you wish because time holds no bounds in podcast land. It's time for Hugh's August choice for The Weekend at Crombies, Volume 3, Episode 8. Hugh, what will we be watching and reviewing? Well, be well, I'll... Obviously, we'll save all the analysis for next week. But I will say, as I was going through my list of films to watch, I was quite surprised, in fact, to find that this film met the criteria for Weekend at Crombies. It was both critically and commercially unsuccessful and and holds a nostalgic point for me. And so, therefore, the film we're watching for August is G.I. Jane. G.I. Jane. Is that with um, Demi Moore? Bruce Willis's old squeeze. <laughs> Viggo Mortensen, yes. They, uh, Viggo Mortensen's in it. Viggo Mortensen. He's the, he's the second most important character in it. Blimey. A pre Lord of the Rings Viggo Mortensen and a post everything else Demi Moore, because that was kind of sunk her <laughs> career. But, uh, but we, shall, we shall find out more next month with G.I. Jane. G.I. Jane. Well, G. Wiz. At least it's not the bombshell joke after Memphis Bell. Um, (laughs) I shall look forward to these uh, these, these closing lines now. Uh, (laughs) And with that, we will wish wish you a a healthy and prosperous weekend at Crombies. Good evening all. As much as I enjoy this, I said it before and I'll say it again. I cannot think of a single worse thing to happen in my life than have, having to record <laughs> the, the same episode again as if it's as if it's fresh. <laughs> <laughs>